You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited to have Jeff Yang, Phil Yu, and Philip Wang to talk about their new book, Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now. Jeff Yang has been observing, exploring, and writing about the Asian American community for over 30 years. He launched one of the first Asian American national magazines, A, A Magazine, in the late 90s and early 2000s, and now writes frequently for CNN, Quartz, Slate, and elsewhere. He has written slash edited three books, Jackie Chan's New York Times bestselling memoir, I Am Jackie Chan, My Life in Action, Once Upon a Time in China, A History of the Cinemas of Hong Kong, Taiwan, and the Mainland, and Easter Standard Time, A Guide to Asian Influence on American Culture. He lives in Los Angeles, California. Phil Yu is the founder and editor of the popular Asian American news and culture blog, Angry Asian Man, which has, which has had a devoted following since 2001. His commentary has been featured and quoted in Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NPR, and elsewhere. He lives in Los Angeles, California. Philip Wang is the co-founder of the hugely influential production company, Wang Fu Productions. Since the mid-2000s, his creative work has garnered over 3 million subscribers and half a billion views online, as well as, rec- as, well as recognition from NPR and CNN for its impact on Asian American representation. He lives in Los Angeles, California. All right. Hi, guys. Thank you for <laughs> sitting through. I think that's one of the longest like bio readings I've had so far. So thank you. I hope I didn't mess it up too badly. I, I could listen to your voice all day. It's like ASMR. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having oh us. There's, there's three of us. There's three of us, too. So we understand. <laughs> we, we make it hard for you. So you're doing great. Thanks for having I us. mean, the ASMR. Should I start an ASMR channel? This is listen. Listen, Jeff, you are you might have started something here and i thank you for it listeners please check out my asmr channel coming soon um, <laughs> <laughs> hi guys how are you all doing today oh fantastic good it yeah, is good. i mean it is a great day to be doing this podcast it's a, it's i think finally cooled down in la i would say yeah but yeah i mean nice forth. weather but yeah it's been a, it's right. been an exciting week uh, with the book coming out like i'm just so, I mean, it still doesn't feel real, to be honest. <laughs> this is this is super excited. <laughs> this is super exciting. I mean, when this episode comes out, I believe on the seventh, is that when the book the book is released? The seventh or is it the eighth? The it's book out is out, out now. It's out as now. We, as we talk, yeah. I got yeah. the week wrong. We have to, we're gonna have to cut that. Cut that out. I'm joking. Don't cut that out. <laughs> let me revel in my embarrassment. Um, all right, so not to hold you guys too long i want to start the let's start the reading let's start it i want to hear you guys read the book all right uh i guess we'll just uh we'll just kick in and and i'll start because i am chronologically the oldest and therefore uh the the senior (laughs) among us but also uh this is kind of the tee up for three introductions for each of the three chapters we cover for each of the three decades we cover and mine is from the 1990s Uh, The 1990s by Jeff Yang. I was born in 1968. I'm starting with that 
because since I first became aware of it, I've always been a little bit haunted by the fact that I was born in the same year as Asian America itself. Because of the timing of my birth, I ended up as one of the first wave of kids asked to reckon with what the term Asian American meant from as soon as we were able to hear and speak, when the idea of Asian America was still just a faint smoke ring outline in the culture. Growing up in the 70s in a paper white part of Staten Island, the whitest borough of New York City, I was used to being called Chinese and occasionally to being referred to as Oriental. When I ran into the latter though, it was almost always from older white people and almost always in a tone of benign condescension. Oriental kids are just the cutest little things. My housekeeper's Oriental too, they're so hardworking. I wasn't offended because it really meant nothing to me. It wasn't an identity. It was just a flavor of Marchand ramen. But Asian, Asian was the term that I was supposed to understand, to embrace, to celebrate. It was the box I was told to check off without explanation, without question. And yet I did have questions, many of them. And so do the people around me, often delivered in a passive aggressive barrage, sometimes aggressive aggressive. The first time I faced the Asian interrogation, it was Halloween. I was maybe 10 or 11 years old and I'd managed to convince my parents to let my sister and me go trick-or-treating on our very safe suburban block for the first time. My parents had no interest in spending money on fake clothes that we'd only wear one day of the year. And as a result, we both went out dressed in the closest thing we had to masquerade, our Chinese school activity clothes. Almost as soon as we left our house, me in my Kung Fu outfit of black drawstring pants, rubber-soled shoes, and a t-shirt with a tiger on it, my sister in the silk pajamas and parasol she wore for the school's Chinese dance troupe, we ran into a scrum of teens from the neighborhood armed with the traditional weapons of Halloween mischief, shaving cream, cartons of eggs, rolls of toilet paper. Seeing us in our outfits, they began hooting and hollering. It's those Asian kids. What are you, Chinese, Japanese? Where are you from anyway? They aren't even costumed. That's just what they wear at home. <laughs> it didn't take an experienced Halloweener to predict what would happen next. As we bolted down the block, pelted with eggs the whole way, my sister flipped open her parasol, which protected her from the worst. I had nothing and was quickly drenched, the cartoon tiger on my shirt turning a realistic shade of yellow. Once we made it home, sent to the shower, never to trick or treat again, the shouted questions were echoed in my head as driblets of yolk swirled down the drain. What are you? Where are you from? And I knew it wasn't the last time I'd hear those questions. And they still weren't ones I could easily answer, at least not then and not there. Pass on to Phil. So I was tasked with writing about the 2000s, and you cannot write about the 2000s without talking about the September 11th attacks. So, uh, my excerpt comes in when I'm talking about um, the, among other things, um, the murder of Balbir Song Sodi. Balbir, sorry, the murder of Balbir Singh Sodi. He was the uh, gas station owner in Arizona who was the first reported victim among many who were um, the on the on the sort of receiving end of racist violence in the wake of 9/11. Um, this was also a time where a lot of Muslim American, South Asian, Middle Eastern activists um, kind of were kind of became um, active, if you were, because of 9/11. It's when they that's when they uh, found their voice because they were forced to. For myself, it was um, actually a time for me to 
realized that my definition of Asian American had to expand. It had to be larger. It had to stretch. And so um, this is where the passage picks up. Elsewhere in the community, in the immediate days and weeks after 9-11, the Japanese Americans were among the first to stand in solidarity and speak out against the suspicion and persecution of Muslim, South Asian, and Arab American communities. In Los Angeles, hundreds gathered at a little Tokyo candlelight vigil, both to remember the victims of 9-11 and to show support for those who were being unjustly blamed for the attacks. Japanese Americans had been down this road before, and they knew where it led. Speaking from authority, they were saying, hell no. It was a contemporary model for Pan-Asian unity, for standing up and speaking up on behalf of fellow Asian Americans. For Americans, for justice and fairness, a pivotal and public buying into the idea that Asian American meant something more than a demographic box. It showed Japanese Americans putting themselves on the line, linking arms and declaring your struggle will also be my struggle. That moment and the aftermath of 9-11 was a lesson for me. I realized that my definition of Asian American, of community, of Asian American history and the pursuit of justice had to be bigger, dynamic, more inclusive. It reinforced something I'd been beginning to learn about Asian American identity, that it's an opt-in situation. Coined by activists in 1968, the term Asian American had been flattened over time to common usage as a general descriptor for Americans of Asian descent. But it was originally conceived as a pan-ethnic political identity to unite for social change. There's nothing inherently holding together this massive amalgamation of identities and origins. We choose to come together as a community because doing so makes us stronger in light of all the bullshit we have to face as Asian Americans. No, we are not all the same, but opting in acknowledges this shared struggle and says that we are accountable to one another. We will show up for one another, whether it's seeking justice for hate crimes to calling out bullshit in the media or fighting towards liberation for all. This realization would shape, grow, and help evolve my understanding of Asian America through the rest of the decade and beyond. Angry Asian Man gave me a voice and a unique vantage point to the highs and lows of Asian America. And contrary to the stereotype of quiet Asians, I could see that we like to fight, that we were in a fight to tell our own stories, to decide which images and narratives defined us. Decades of racist imagery, from Hollywood movies to political propaganda, informed by racism, colonialism, and conquest, have seeped their way into the consciousness of what the West views as Asian. It dehumanizes us. It makes us smaller. It chips away at our agency and forces the narrative of Asians as unwelcome visitors to this country. And it takes form in the most seemingly innocuous ways. But like I said, we like to scrap and we'll use the internet to do it. As key moments in this decade will demonstrate, if you picked a fight with us, you will be greeted with the collective fury of young, angry Asian America. Thanks, I Phil. pass it to Philip. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Uh, am I, is my microphone all right for you guys? Cool. So my name is Philip Wang, and um, I guess I'm the slightly younger of the, of the trio, uh, and I was tasked for uh, writing about the 2010s. And what's interesting, um, just actually, this is the first time we've actually done this as, as the three of us kind of reading excerpts and from each of our decades, and it really does paint this picture of, of progress, right, with Jeff kind of coming into his own and, and 
and feeling the wrath of like those those early bullies and it's not to say that it hasn't stopped it's, it's it, this is still happening all the time phil you know kind of um uh, coming to a different awareness of what uh, Asian American even means as a community. And I think where the 2010s really shifted things for, for us was that thanks to social media and thanks to technology, we started to take control of our narrative. Um, and while the rest of the world in the previous decades were kind of uh, categorizing us um, and stereotyping us a certain way, uh, we finally felt empowered uh, and enabled um, with the tools um, to, to speak for ourselves. And because we were able to put that content out, um, it inspired other people to, to follow suit. And, and when you see support out there, it, it, it just, it, it, it brings on more, right? So for me and um, my company, Wong Fu Productions, we started in the mid 2000s um, and uh, definitely felt the, the benefits of, of this uh, growing community online. And uh, we got to see a lot of shifts because of that, um, because of uh, these new communities that were forming on different social media platforms. So I'm gonna read an excerpt that's um, titled The New Stereotypes. Uh, it's a little bit more lighthearted, uh, but it, I think it kind of shows a little bit about where we got to after Jeff and Phil. <clears throat> the New Stereotypes. For generations, Asian Americans have pushed back against stereotypes that have dogged us through the decades. Weird foreigner, exotic temptress, screaming thug, silent coolie. These were the only lenses through which Hollywood let the world see us. But that was in an era where Hollywood controlled 100% of what America was exposed to in the media. What emerged as that control began fading away in the 2010s and Asians could re redefine our own narrative, a lot of boba. Okay, that's not all, but that is a lot of it. Hell, we have two pieces in this uh, book about boba. Now I'm not the last person to roll my eyes at boba becoming deeply tied to Asian American identity. To be fully honest, I love the odd sense of uh, unity and empowerment that boba symbolizes for us beginning in the 2010s and the other new stereotypes are start uh, that started being associated with Asians in that decade were equally positive in their own way for example did you know that quote-unquote food blogger is a number one Instagram aspiration among Asian Americans fine I have no data to prove that but something's got to explain all the photos we take of our meals with so much variety our innate adventurous appetites and such a vast array of cross-cultural influence it was perhaps just a matter of time before Asians became trendsetters and opinion leaders when it came to food. Whereas once we were just asked to calculate how to split the check, now we were being asked about the best places to dine and what to order once you got there. And if K-pop was South Korea's biggest export to America, a close second was mukbang, eating huge meals on camera. Again, I have no data to support that statement, but if you've seen anyone chowing down on massive slabs of salmon and two dozen crab legs on YouTube, just remember that was our thing first. The Asian dancer was also a stereotype that became cemented in the 2010s. Yes, there's now an assumption that all Asians are good at dancing and with good reason. The most visible and highest scoring teams on shows like America's Best Dance Crew and World of Dance were predominantly and visibly Asian American. After winning titles, many of those teams and dancers went on to start studios and build massive brands like the Kinjas and Movement Lifestyle, garnering hundreds of millions of views and inspiring even more young Asians to pursue dance as a hobby or career. Meanwhile, as Asian culture imports like anime, K-pop, and esports rose in popularity in North America, so did their association with Asian Americans. To be fair, 95% of us are fans of at least two of those three. Again, I don't know why I keep citing totally unsupported statistics. But jokes aside, all of these new associations served as proof that there was more to our community and identity than had ever previously been seen. 
As a result, a generation of Asians coming of age in the new millennia felt less need to assimilate to the communities around them, whether white, black, or Latinx. The more our own culture became established and the cooler the rest of the world thought it was, the less reason we had to feel hangups about the old stereotypes that shadowed us as well. Martial arts may have been cringy for some before the 1990s when it was all anyone thought we could do. But now YouTube videos of people blowing up birthday candles with nunchucks get 2 million views overnight. In the past, being a doctor might've been seen as boring or parentally approved career. But what about an Asian doctor who does TikTok dances and raps parodies of Hamilton as his way of giving helpful public health advice? Asian Americans live in a whole new world of representation. We're finally making a point, the point more clearly that it wasn't being depicted as Kung Fu fighters or math whizzes that was the problem. The problem was when those were the only way we were depicted. All marginalized communities want is to, all marginalized communities want is to be seen as complex, multifaceted and human. And for Asians, the 2010s is when we finally stopped waiting around for others to give us the chance to do it. So we did it ourselves. Ooh. Wow. I, I mean, <laughs> that was, I, all three of you did, were great reading that. Like, you want to go again? Do another round. Like, <laughs> this is the, yeah. Through. Like Phil said before, Philip said before, like, this is the first time I've, we've heard each other read. Yeah. Cause, cause we all did sessions in the, for the audio book actually. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I was like, I don't know. I wonder how, I wonder how Philip and Jeff did. Cause I feel like I sucked <laughs> at it. Actually. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, uh, Part of it is just like when to breathe. I feel a lot of times mm -hmm. like I'm, <laughs> yeah. you like run right. out of breath at the end yeah. of this. And there's a lot of parts where I was like, why did I write it like this? What, <laughs> like, why, why is this so hard? I wrote this. Wait, did you it's like the way you the way you think is different than the way you write? And I, yeah. I realized I wrote as I thought, and that's not always. But <laughs> you were saying, Lance. So you guys all did the audiobook for it. We, we did our own voices, as it were, like our own okay. introductions. And there's some graphic novels that have us as characters, as it were, because we did the dialogue for that. But we also had a, a great team of other readers, of other voice mm. actors who did a fantastic job with uh, much of the rest of the book. Dang, I was hoping you guys did the entire thing and did like oh, voices, man. did your own voices for like different people. Yeah. Like we just like... pretended to be Sandra Oh, like hey, yeah. Sandra. No, leave yeah, that to the professionals. It... <laughs> the professional you Sandra O's. Yeah, yes. yeah. The professional Sandra O's. You know, there's a team of them. There's a team. Um, you think she did Yeah, she she is actually several people. She, you, people don't know that, but that's how come she works so much. It's because she is actually embodied by like five different Sandra O's, actually. And how do you Michelle Yo is a thousand. <laughs> I mean, how do you think she did 10 years of Grey's Anatomy? That's right. like <laughs> each of them did two years each. I have to assume. Exactly. Um, all right. So I'm so excited to talk about this book. This is such a good book, such a beautiful book too. Mm -hmm. Like the art in it is, I mean, there's so much different kind of art in it that I saw, but also like in a way that I felt like it embodied it collectively, but it kept me like, Oh, this is a new way. Oh, this is a new one. Oh, this is like, it was so great. Um, but my first question for all three of you is, I mean, I assume you all met my guesses through like being starting, trying to start a boy band group together <laughs> and that failed. So you decided to write a book together. Is that, was the, am I right? Oh, we were rejected wow. by, uh, by K-pop and uh, ended up having to <laughs> <laughs> return to the united states uh and, and write a book um, do they do they do they like ship you back out do they just yeah. like do you, in, can, um you <laughs> they're like saying can't dance here's a book deal like yeah. come on. 
<laughs> I think I think a, a legitimate answer to that question, like how do you guys know each other? Actually, like, and this is goes for a lot of my relationships in the Asian American community. When people ask like, how do you guys know each other? I'm like, a legitimate answer is from being Asian. Like, I, I <laughs> like it's like a totally legit answer. Well, like you just kind of know each other like a lot of us kind of know each other for being in these spaces you know for many mm. many years i mean right. we're not we're not helping the stereotype that all asians just <laughs> no 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 but, but it, it in this particular happened, yeah. case and i i do think that it is a small community especially in this era where we are so deeply connected even like digitally you know mm. we're all kind of looking at each other following each other talking to each other that way um but i will say that there is there's kind of this world of people who have been around for a while. And, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I not so much like professional Asians, the way that professional Sandra O's or professional Sandra O's, <laughs> but people who, who mm-hmm. have clearly been a part of this community since, uh, in a lot of ways, long before it felt safe or smart to be like publicly Asian American. And sometimes it feels like it's not that safe or smart to be publicly Asian American now, of course. But certainly over the last three decades, we, we've seen this like, trajectory of going from a place where a lot of people were like, oh yeah, you know, um, I'm Asian American and I'm a writer, but I really don't like to think of myself as an Asian American writer. You know, I feel like that's limiting, right? To a point now where people are just proudly wearing that literally on their chests, you know, that sort of thing, right? And the three of us have have kind of been there in each of these decades and, and that has brought us together uh, in, inevitably, I think. Uh, just through sort of like random Brownian motion in different events and places. And also we're, you know, so we got to be friends. Yeah. I think, I think in, in the time when it wasn't as safe, at least in this industry, like specifically speaking, like to be Asian and people hid behind um, their, their identity, changed their last names so that they could get jobs or uh, book gigs. Um, Definitely, the three of us were not uh, hiding. We were very much unapologetically being ourselves. We were, o- and- we were openly Asian. Yeah. <laughs> openly Asian. Ooh, defiantly I, Asian. Defiantly. <laughs> let's. You know what? That's. You came out of the closet as a. Yeah, because because honestly, like. It, oh, I'm gonna get canceled. People, oh no. <laughs> a lot of people definitely found found their identity recently. When, once uh once the the financially was made sense to do so, but we don't need to get into that. But I'll just I'll just say this like. I think oh, like no. when we notice see each other at these events over like over and over again, we, we kind of knew that, yeah, like these guys are legit. Like they, they truly care. They've put in not just the time, but they've put in their own money. They've, they've sacrificed to start businesses um, that were to support, uh, you know, the uplift of, of our community. So I think we always just kind of kept track of each other. And we, whenever we saw each other, we had immense respect. At least that's how I saw them when I was, um, you know, uh, much younger and, 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 and seeing them already in these spaces and in these events, I'm like, oh my God, that's Phil Yu from the blog, you know, like, oh my God, that's Jeff Yang. He, he writes for the Wall Street Journal, you know, like, so I think it started, it started off as like that. And luckily they had that mutual respect for what I was doing on YouTube uh, as like this little kid um, at the time that was, uh, you know, just running around with a video camera. Um, and we just kind of just kept in touch over the years. And finally it, it, it came to this point where, um, at least with this book, uh, we felt that there was a need to finally um, speak and document uh, about what we've seen these past 30 years collectively, because um, I think what it was is we started seeing the possibility of that narrative be for- forgotten or erased. So we wanted to make sure that we 
you know, um, froze it in time and, and, and put it into a physical document, um, which is this book? Um, wow. I mean, that's, you guys summarize that well. I mean, <laughs> I asked a funny question and you guys were like, all right, serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, that was great. I, I want to know though, because when, you know, a lot of, a lot of the times when marginalized, uh, when people in marginalized communities talk about their history, you know, it brings out the ugliness of like, you know, the, the, the violence, both like not, I mean, physically, but also like, you know, metaphorical, uh, not metaphorical is the word I'm looking for, you know, the, 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 the systemic violence yeah, that yeah. happened throughout history, you know, a lot of emotions come out of it. Did you, like, did, did writing this book, you know, unearth mm. a lot of your own feelings of like, wow, mm. this is, you know, this history is just so, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's amazing how far, you know, so many, how far it's come, but like also like why it's had to come so far. Did a lot yeah. of that come out when you wrote this? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, obviously, is that we wrote it in a particular time. And that time was one where being Asian felt very different. And I mean, Phil, you know, Philip mentioned, uh, we were a little bit concerned that a lot of the things that had been built up over the last 30 years, blood, sweat, tears, uh, would be wiped away by this kind of torrent of, of rejection of uh, Asian people and ideas and things, anti-Asian, not just hostility, but violence. And that was a very emotional thing in a lot of ways. I mean, I think when we first decided to do this book, we were thinking of it as like just simply a celebration of three decades in which we came out of complete invisibility when we decloaked, if you will, and uh, arrived on the scene in a more meaningful and public fashion. But then all of a sudden, you know, we had the pandemic and then all of a sudden we had people shouting, you know, Wuhan flew at us in the streets and uh, spitting on us and, and so forth. And now we have people getting shoved off, you know, subway platforms. And that changes the way that we actually had to approach the book. But even the way it, it, it worked in our heads, I, I know that's certainly the case for me. Uh, and I will say that the thing that really made this something possible for us was that we were connected to so many other people, such a huge diverse network, much more diverse than the three of us are, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who were feeling much the same way and being able to draw from the, all those voices and contributors, all those people who had this common feeling that there was a need for us to tell this story collectively. That's what really made this book feel like a healing thing and not something that just ripped off scabs. I think also, a huge part of it is that we we don't know our own history. I mean, so so many people within the Asian American community can probably say, like, I I actually don't know a lot about because it wasn't taught to me. It's it's ignored, right? It's we are rendered invisible invisible in so many different ways. History being one of them, the the story of ourselves, uh, we don't know it, and so and I would argue the the place we find ourselves at now. A lot of it is in due part because we don't know our history. Everybody doesn't know our history. And so we find ourselves in this place where we have this ahistorical view of Asians as if we suddenly got here, as if suddenly violence against Asian Americans is a new thing, actually. Like, you know, this sentiment 
has existed for a very long time. It just has new voice, you know, a new volume level now, you know, but all of this, you know, our, our, our attempts to put this down in a book, really a large part of it is trying to have a good, a better grasp of who we are and make sure this, this doesn't happen again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also just one last thing too, is that, um, you know, when we, we're thinking about what to put in the book. Obviously we wanted it to be fun. And a big, a big motivation was the fact that so many, the few, the Asian American like history books or, um, you know, education about, about our, our, our time in America, our community in America, it's all, it is a lot of doom and gloom. And so we, so we wanted to like, definitely say, Hey, it's not like we've, we've done things, you know, like we're, 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 we're not out here just, you know, crying and, 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 and we're like, we're, we're trying to make a, make a difference. And, and there's been great success, but at the same time, you know, we also didn't want this to be something where we also erase the, like some of the things that we should be kind of ashamed about too, or like to, to know that, Hey, on this, on this progress or on this journey, there were definitely some missteps. There were some 10 steps back. There were some things that as, as a community, let's not do this again, right? So I think we were also very mindful of, of where um, we've had some dark moments and what, and what we're still struggling to understand about ourselves because as, as, our, like, as Asian Americans, like, it is such a large group. It's so fragmented. We, weren't, we all didn't come here to uh, immigrate to America in the same way. Not everyone was even an immigrant. Um, we're all from different countries. A lot of them hate each other back in the motherland. So there's a lot of like healing that we have to like deal with even within ourselves here. And that's something that we wanted to um, acknowledge as well. No, I mean, it, I think the book like is a beautiful love letter to that like acknowledgement. Like it's a, it's a great one. And one of the things that I like, I mean, I enjoyed it out of it. I feel like, you know, because the wonderful American education system. Um, but mm. boom, I'm sorry. Um, that's <laughs> no, it, 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 because there's a lack of education on um, Asian American culture and Asian, just Asian culture in general, there's a lot of people get educated on it through pop culture and like, right. you know, things like movies, television shows, music, um, just the new, like the, something in the news will watch instead of like being taught in the classrooms i mean a book about that pop culture seems like you know very in line with you know what where people got a lot of the information from was that kind of a big part of the thought of writing the thought process of writing this book well one thing we like to frame the book as is when we say it's a pop history it's not really a history just of the popular culture it's a popular history but pop mm-hmm. culture is a big part of that, right? Um, right. It's, this, is, this is a book about three decades and about how we lived, how we were seen, how we saw each other, uh, the stories we told and the stories we told ourselves, uh, but the spaces, like the communities, the venues, the intersections, uh, we have all those kind of baked into the book in, in ways that hopefully will be nostalgic for people who live through those spaces, uh, but completely maybe new and a new window into our world for people who didn't. And our, our real goal here was simply put to give us a more density and depth and texture so that people could see us. I mean, really see us, see us as humans, see us as, as uh, more than just the surface, including the pop culture surface that they actually saw on screens. So yes, there's that. 
the second piece though, and, and this is something that I think comes up a lot. People are like, well, why, why even have so much popular culture in a historical book? There are so many other things we need to worry about and contend with. Pop culture seems kind of trivial or whatever. Well, yeah, there, there, there is something to that. And yet at the same time, you know, we, we take pains to look deep into the history of how some of these images, how some of these storylines, if you will, these stereotypes that have hung around our necks for, at this point, not just decades, but centuries. Uh, where did these come from, right? Well, they came from wartime propaganda. They came from editorial cartoons designed to eliminate us as labor competition or prevent us from immigrating to the United States. These are the stories that were used to prevent us from being seen as human. And so we're more than anything else, I think, looking at these three decades and how we took those stories, broke some, dented others, reinvented still others, and then finally got to a point where we could replace a lot of them with stories that felt more true to ourselves. And for us and for these last three decades, that was kind of a momentous experience and a great achievement because the fact is we've seen more than once and certainly now, especially many times, how telling the wrong story or depicting the wrong image about people who look like us can be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and like one thing that definitely motivated just the, or catalyzed um, just us trying to take on this project our pitch was um, just, you know, after Crazy Rich Asians, which was such a, you know, monumental milestone for our community, you, we saw like all these headlines of like, oh, this is the first, uh, you know, all Asian cast in 25 years since Joy Luck Club. And, and that's not not true, but it's also not completely true either. Like there's a lot of stuff in between that we were, we, it's not like after Joy Luck Club in the mid nineties, we were just sitting around waiting for Hollywood to give us another movie. Um, we were very active and, um, I think the purpose of this book was us wanting to fill in the gaps and just let make sure all the stuff that we were doing on like you know in the shadows or in in smaller venues or not on the mainstream headlines that those never got forgotten and um yeah we wanted to make sure that people if they were curious uh could find out oh this is this is it didn't just happen you know out of nowhere after 25 years that a lot of people put in work um and the community has been active this whole time yeah, and I mean, it just, it, especially talking about that uh, propaganda that a lot of people, the, the things that they tried to, you know, the way that they use media, uh, media to um, just twist people's views on how they saw um, Asian culture in America. It just, I mean, I found out, like, I found out, I was never taught in school about the Vietnam War and how, like, U.S. lost. The U.S. did not win that. <laughs> I did not. I knew that. I found that out. I think at 19, and I was like, "What? Like, why was I never told this? Who never taught? That's crazy." Um, all right. Well, sadly, I know you guys have to go, so we have to end soon. But the last thing I wanted to ask was if there was, you know, if there was one extra person who's not in this that you got to interview for the, each of you. I want to know that you could have had in this book that you just you were like, oh, I wish I got this one person and we'll be in the sequel book. I'm, ju I'm just assuming Ooh. there'll be another one. Uh, <laughs> who would it be? Oh mm. man, I'll, I'll give you guys, I'm just going off just like what instantly came up. I don't know why he's on my mind because I've, I I've been making jokes about it recently, but um, I think it would be awesome to have Yao Ming. In this, <laughs> just because like, I know he's not Asian American, but like 
like him and what he like and i'm a big nba fan and i'm just like oh man like for for me he was like my the first like like the first you know asian sports star that mm-hmm. i or nba star that i could like ever like see and we we got jeremy Lin, which is amazing and i it, i think it would have been so oh, cool man. to have jeremy and yao kind of like <laughs> talking to each other because we did have some like really cool round tables yeah that was fun. yeah no, that would have been, I, I don't know what's on my mind <laughs> Yeah, Jeff, go for it. I'm, I'm pointing to Phil. I'll let oh. him go. <laughs> um, you know, I was, uh, you know, who I'd say just because I would wa- really just want to talk to him is Yo-Yo Ma. Oh yeah, uh, I would have just he's he's a national treasure, and I would have just loved to just sit on a Zoom with him and just just chat, man. He's he's seems like a, such a cool and nice guy as well. So, um, yeah. I would I would have been geeking out, yeah, for sure. I met him. Met him once, nicest person, the oh. nicest. I met him back in my like orchestra days. Oh man, Lex, man. Oh, so my cool. I need him. Yeah, so was, cool. I was like He's... the nicest person. Yeah. What did you play? Uh, saxophone, tenor sax. Oh, for, oh wow. Yeah, duet years. for cello and saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you're I saying we're saying this, and you know yeah. what? Wish it in the world, <laughs> listeners. The ASMR channel and my new album's coming out. Uh, <laughs> my new Lance and Sax- Yo-Yo. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to uh, throw out uh, a and a very serious one that we talked about for a long time, and then ended up you know, having to pass on just because we already had 496 pages on the book, uh, but also because it would have been hard to do. Uh, and it, it's going to sound wild, but uh, I really wanted to try to get um, Barack Obama in the book. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, years and years ago, actually, when I was writing for the San Francisco Chronicle, I wrote a column that kind of went viral back before viral was even a possibility, talking about some of the reasons why Asian Americans felt like incredibly uh, seen and reflected in Barack Obama, even though he is, of course, clearly our first black president, uh, that we in some ways saw him as kind of like our first Asian American president as well. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, born in Hawaii, uh, sp- spent time as a child uh, in Indonesia, uh, had has and had Asian American family, like half sister, stepfather, etc. So and, and actually hung out with and chilled, you know, throughout college all the way to the present with lots and lots of Asian Americans. Uh, that was stuff which I remember just feeling was so unique to my political experiment, uh, experience, sorry, and, and experiment, I guess. <laughs> uh, and having that conversation with him in our pages would have been such an incredibly interesting thing to do, not least because I actually had a chance to, in fact, meet him as well uh, and ask him that question. It's like, hey, you know, I, I wrote this piece years ago about you being the first Asian American president. Uh, is that wild or what? He's like, well, you wrote it because it's true. <laughs> and then he laughed that laugh, which he, uh, he, he yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, always my hero and it would have been a great thing to include i mean i love that you like let me be happy about yo-yo ma and you're like but wait <laughs> but hold on <laughs> hold on i also uh, met i also met barack obama <laughs> well you know you know podcast <laughs> over i'm done this <laughs> joking yes, no this is <laughs> this is no this has been a fantastic episode um thank you guys again for coming on this is great listeners 
listeners, you can today, since the book is out, a pair of the book is since the book is out right now, which apparently a week earlier than what I thought. Uh, go, you can go to your local bookstore and buy Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now at your local bookstore. Um, check it out. It's a beautiful book. Flip go to your bookstore flip through it and then i know you'll buy it because you'll be so that en- enraptured <laughs> by it that like you'll be like what is this i need to own this no it's a fantastic book and there's so much good content in there you will just just the the sheer amount of just you know information and collaborators in there oh love it um do you guys have any last things you'd like to say to the listeners and you know the bookstore community and booksellers and yada 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 we were so glad to write this book. We we're looking forward to the next one. And we hope you actually just, uh, you know, come along with us on this journey. It's been great. Yeah, whether, whether you're you are Asian or not, there's going to be something that you're going to learn and, and, and that you'll find interesting. Even for me, I, I, there's so many pages in here where I'm like, I didn't know that. So it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's <laughs> great for everyone. It's great for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your support. And and thank you guys. You guys have a great rest of your day. To my listeners, you have a beautiful and amazing rest of your day. Come back soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.